This episode is supported by friend of the show, Dave Wagner. Thank you, Dave, for your support of Big Adventures. This is part two of Brian's chat with John Duffesey. If you haven't already listened to part one, we'd suggest you give that one a listen, then come right back here for part two. Well, we're back. That was a good little break. We're still on Everest. Okay. We're coming off Everest. You get to that airport. What kind of equipment are you toting? You know, after an expedition like that, you're walking to civilization. Unlike a lot of people, they climb out of the Grand Canyon and there's the road. Right. Uh, Explain just the cultural impact, but also the whole Mm. expedition. Nobody talks about the return home, really. Well, I'm sure it's different for everybody. My experience was, you know, I felt great. I I really, I had a really good climb. I felt good at high altitude. Um, When I got back down to Kathmandu, I just felt really good. And, uh, you know, you're going to lower elevation, of course, so you're going to feel better. But um, (laughs) I made a mistake of having fish for dinner as my celebratory dinner. (laughs) That sounds like a mistake. I shouldn't (laughs) say the name of the place, and I won't, but it was a really, really nice restaurant in Kathmandu, a famous restaurant. But I got really, really uh, sick with an intestinal... uh, Food poisoning. Yeah, basically. So... Fortunately, uh, one of the guys on the trip had a bunch of codeine syrup and said, "Drink this, and you can get probably get home if you're drinking this." But I, you know, on the street there, you can buy codeine sulfate, so I had a bunch of that stuff, and I just it was eating that to stop myself up. So I jumped on. I went to Bangkok and I just got to the airport and just you know ate the stuff and. Uh, Got my ass home because I didn't want to go to the doctor there, but I was sick. And uh, I got back, and I had some kind of intestinal uh, infection or something from it. But uh, I was going to head down to uh, Thailand after that and, you know, spend a little R&R, but that didn't happen. So I ended up getting home. Which is Aspen. Which is Aspen. And, and were your other crew members back as well, or they were yeah, behind everybody you? Kind of, they were ahead of me. I, I had to stay in the, in the hotel for a, a couple days by myself until I was able to move. Um, and at that point, I, all I could do was drink water, but it was, like, really not good. Um, so anyway, I, find, uh, I got myself home, and uh, I came into Aspen, and it was... Uh, you know, after being in Nepal, excuse me, in a third world country and seeing what was happening there and, and being exposed to all of that and uh, coming into Aspen, I think that it was a little overwhelming. The, yeah, uh, I, I was trying to kind of get know, to that, the, yeah. the cultural impact. Yeah, of, you know, Aspen is what it is, and it's a great place, and I, you know, I love it. But at that point, it was like, I got to get out the hell out of here. I can't deal with this right now. So I went out to Utah and found a cave out there, and I spent a week uh, just hanging out in a cave. and uh it was wonderful i loved it great weather it was nice and warm was there a a really old man with a long beard (laughs) sitting on a oh yeah (laughs) totally enlightened and everything 
no, it was just me and a little campfire and whatever food I had that I could that I could get down and you know it, I got to finally where I felt like I could walk around without having to worry about any having a little accident. You know? Yeah, yeah, we get so, it, we get it. Yeah, so finally uh, when I got to that point, I thought, okay, I think I better go home and. Uh, I think I can deal with uh, Aspen itself, and so uh, I came home, and yeah, <laughs> and still here, <laughs> so it wasn't that bad, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was unfortunate to get sick because I was feeling so good, you know. Yeah, from the old. <laughs> yeah, and I was yeah, and I was really looking forward to going down and hanging out on the beach, you know, in Thailand, and you know, getting some nice warm, you know. Uh, Sunshine. Uh, sunshine and beach action and, you know, the warm water and whatever, but that wasn't to be then. So anyway, so back to Aspen. And, and uh, then uh, then all of a sudden it's like uh, Al said, look, you just, uh, you made it up Everest. You got to do the seven summits. And it was like. So that's the first conceptual time that you kind, had yeah, discussed seven yeah, summits yeah i just we just really weren't talking about it at that point and it was like what uh okay because he said i want to do it and i want you to do it and he said I, and he said i'm going to help he wanted to help wally do it pete do it uh anybody he could help do the seven summits and he, be there himself and if he could go along and, and accomplish it himself, he wanted to do that. But he, his goal was to do the seven summits. But it was also he wanted to help these other people do it, too. To, to, you Remarkable know. fellow. Yeah, incredible guy. And I mean, the story's really about Al Hanna. I mean, this is how this person did this for, you know, not just me, but all these other people that we met on the river trip in Green River, Utah. Or, uh, Utah um, he helped them out. And, you know, it's like, so this is, this was this, who this guy was. And that influenced my life a lot, too. You know, it's like, wow, what can I do to help other people? You know, yeah. what resources that I have at my yeah. disposal. Whatever. Beautiful stuff. Pretty, pretty incredible. I mean, you don't meet very many people like that in your life. But this guy was just, he was, he was like I said, an Elvis or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he used to give Cadillacs to all these people he met, whatever. But so anyway, Al was was great. But so he he calls me up and says we're gonna, gonna do uh, Mount Vincent in Antarctica. I said okay, all right. I I, I climbed Everest. I guess I can climb these other mountains probably because you know if I did that I could probably do the other ones. And it sounds like fun. And by that time the adventure oh and see the of world seeing and... these different places and the exposure to you know let's say for instance going to. Asia, going to Nepal and being exposed to the Buddhist religion and realizing that there are more people in the world that think differently than you do. <laughs> you know, that was a pretty big deal. And it's like, wow, this is a big world. There's a lot of things out there I'd like to see. And this is an opportunity. Yeah, an offer <laughs> you couldn't refuse. I dig it. It's fun. Let's do yeah. it. So we, you know, to go to Santiago, jump on an old 1930s train, took it down to the you know the coast down toward uh, Punta Arenas, you know that was an adventure. Yeah, you know, the beautiful old train. Then Punta Arenas was a real trip. Uh, you know, so the southern tip of the yeah. continent. Yeah, and uh, so we were. Wait, you have to wait till the weather clears, and you're going to go on a transport plane. It, at that time, it was uh, uh, Giles Kershaw had had 
by the hit crashed and, and died uh, in Antarctica landing. So his wife um, took over the uh, flight service. The flight service, uh, Ann Kershaw, I think was her name, Ann. Um, so she had a South African air transport plane, military transport plane, to, to go back and forth to Patriot Hills, which was a research station there. And it's basically a military plane. You're sitting on, like, bench seats with no padding or anything, and there, there's a curtain behind you, and there's a, you can see the pilots up front, and there's maybe, you know, I don't know, uh, eight or nine of you in there, whatever. If that many. And a bunch of cargo. In a curtain, and you look behind a curtain, and it's all 55-gallon drums of uh, uh, airplane fuel. And you're going, okay, this is a flying bomb. <laughs> you know, so the deal is, is that you have to take the fuel with you, so if you get there, you'll have fuel to get back with the plane. So um, you also have to make a decision when you're flying there when you're about halfway there, whether you can continue because of the weather. If the weather's bad, you don't want to go and crash, so you have to turn back. And you're flying a long way before that happens, and you know, you're looking down at the ocean, seeing the icebergs, and uh, it looks pretty cold down there. And you know you're going to this big ice continent. Anyway, so fortunately, we were able to continue. And you're in your 8,000-meter gear because there's no heat in the plane. So it's pretty cold, but uh, well, you know it's not that bad. You move around a little bit and stay warm. Wiggle your fingers and toes. <laughs> Wiggle your fingers and toes, and uh, you're used to it. And so it's like, okay, we can deal with this. And so you're coming in, and uh, you know you can see out the, the, the windows a little bit and where the pilots are. You know, you're kind of trying to figure out what's out out there, but you can't really see much of anything. But you can't tell where the ground is. But you can see out the side when you're getting close to the runway, which is just ice, just sheer yeah. flat ice. And uh, so you come in and the plane starts hitting that, uh, the sun cups, little sun cups and bouncing around and uh, sliding around. And these barrels are bouncing around and you're going, oh my gosh. Now, is that plane on wheels? It's on wheels. It's, it's not just, skis. Or... Nah, you're landing with wheels on this one. And uh, so it just, it seems like it just slides down the ice for miles before it stops. You know, I don't know how far it is, but it just seems like Forever. a long way. And so you get there and they drop down the back hatch, you know, like you see those military planes. And it's like, all right, let's get the hell out of here. So they unload, all the fuel gets unloaded, you know, and, and then our gear. And uh, so they, they come out with, uh, you can walk. From there, if you want to start walking, you just start walking towards where the, the base is, and it's not really much. It's a couple of these uh, tents. They're kind of, you know, the, but they're like uh, vinyl plastic, you know. They're not real sturdy-looking things, but this is where they have a lot of the stuff. And then they dig down into the ice with chainsaws and make caverns and rooms down under the ice, big enough to put a small, like, piper uh, cub. So it's a pretty interesting place. And real quick, how long of a flight is that? I don't remember. How many it's, hours? It's, you don't uh, remember? It's quite a. It's quite a ways. It's a. It's a long flight. Yeah. It's you got a lot of time to just sit and think about it. You know. It's like well, we're Antarctica. Wow. Twelve, fourteen hours. Yeah, I don't think it's that. No, it's not like that. I but I don't remember how many hours it is. But it's long enough. A long way. It seemed like a long flight. 
but uh, anyway, so you get there and you go in and you say hi to everybody and um, you have you'd have to wait for the weather to be good again to to go from there to your uh, the start of where you're going to start climbing, which is you fly up to a glacier on a, a twin otter with skis on it. But we were there for a couple days or so, and so. You know, when we were talking about the sense of space, sense of, you know, uh, scale that you get in the Himalayas. In Antarctica, again, I like to go walk around by myself, so I decided I'd go for a, a little walk. I got cleared it with everybody. I said, hey, I'm going to head out that way. There's a, some mountains you could see, and I said, I'm just going to parallel that for ways on the ice and just, is it okay? You know, is it cool? Can I go do that? And they go, yeah, sure. So I walked out for a couple miles out on the ice, and there's like these big sun cups out there, huge sun cups, and you kind of lose sight of the horizon. So you got to be really making sure you know where you're going, which direction you're going, so you can turn around and go back the same way you came. But you're aware of it, so you don't get too freaked out. But I remember looking down in the ice in some of these sun cups, big, huge bowl, saucer, you know, sun cups, you can see through the ice, and you, but you can't really tell how far you're looking down. That was a really weird sensation. Yeah, and it was a weird sensation to be that, you know, out on that continent, you know, you're all maybe a couple miles away, which seems like a really long way there. Yeah, just and the to, And to think, you know, I know how many people are on this continent right now, you know, and because they told you. You know, there's how many, I don't remember. But it's like, and this is a pretty big continent. And you're like, wow, there's a lot of room around here. And this, that that feeling, you know, I liked that. Yeah, it's really yeah, bizarre. It's got to be exciting. It's the same, same kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, so. It's got to be a wonderful. Yeah. And, and, it's, and I know that I've always been like that. My mother told me I was like that as a child. But So it's just my nature, I guess. And so I felt comfortable with it. But uh, anyway, so. To get back, get back to the climb. Uh, when the weather gets uh, okay, you get in the twin otter. You fly to your glacier where you're going to start. The plane lands and it goes up the glacier and then it turns around and stops. And they they, you, they let you out and it's like okay, there you go. So we you get all your gear, you take off, and of course, uh, and the sun doesn't go down there either. Right. Yeah. You know, so he just kind of circles around up in the sky. It dips down a little bit below the horizon. Uh, so, but it gets low enough that we pick the, the one place where we're in shadow, and to set up our first camp. You know, because we got tired and it was just that about that time. And so the, we're setting up the tent. It was Todd Burleson, uh, Al, and myself, and uh, we ripped the door off the tent. So, uh, I don't know if you've done any winter camping where you, you know, I mean, you can bivouac outside in a warm enough bag and you, you're okay, but it's cold. Well, this is sort of like that at first because the, the tent was just a mess and it was like, oh, what do we do? So we finally, you know, once we got our act together, we using pins and, you know, anything we could do to try to get the door up as much as we could, but still a lot of air was coming air in. Air weapons, you And when you're, <clears throat> when you're in a tent that's sealed up 
it's like a greenhouse effect, kind of, especially if you have some sun. Of course, we didn't have sun. We were in the shade. So it was pretty cold. And uh, that was the start of that trip. But then, of course, we didn't do that again. And we had, uh, we fixed the tent up with everybody, found all the little, you know, pins that they had. And we sewed some things together and, you know, with whatever we had, a dental floss or shoestrings, whatever. I can't remember now. But... Anyway, so that was a, an interesting walk in to the climb. Uh, it's a number of days to get in. You know, you're walking across the ice. And uh, for me, I was, the, I was carrying a couple sleds. I was carrying Al's sled for him, as well as mine, with supplies. So it was a really pretty strenuous walk. I remember, this is a really weird thing, but I remember I kept seeing this brown stuff in the snow. And there was no vegetation, there were no birds, there was nothing at all that you could see, right? But I kept seeing this brown stuff, and I, I thought, is that bird shit, or, you know, what is that? And uh, finally, I, I figured out what it was eventually, uh, and I'm not going to name any names, but it was a guy who was chewing tobacco, and he was spitting tobacco out onto the ice. And we were, you know, we're peeing in milk jugs so we don't leave any urine there. We're shitting in plastic bags to haul out so you don't leave any human waste. And some jackass is <laughs> spitting tobacco out on the, you know, on the snow. And I thought, that, that is really, that's rude. Because there's no other, you know, no... Foreign stuff. Foreign yeah, stuff. It's like, that sucks. That shouldn't be here. Anyway, that was that was a kind of a, a weird thing, but there was no, like no lichen on the rocks. There was nothing. It was like lifeless, except the rock and snow. You know, if, if that has life, you know, but no, you know, insects, birds, etc. Um, and there, anyway. So that was a cold trip. Um, we we had a lot of pretty darn cold ambient air. And I think on the summit, it was probably, we figured, with the wind chill, probably about 70 below. Oh, which wow. Was, which is pretty cold. And the summit is what elevation, in contrast to Everest, which is, Everest is just under 30? Uh, Everest is uh, 29,035 now, I think. I think it was a couple feet shorter at when we climbed it, but they changed the elevation now. They say it's a little higher than they thought it was or something. I don't know if it really is or if it's just the way the measurements are being done. But uh, Vincent um, is uh, 16,066 feet. and uh, Pretty substantial. Well, it is when you're... When you consider that you're going from a really low elevation up to that elevation. Oh, yeah. And I don't know what that exactly was from where we landed, but... Uh, it depends on how thick the ice is in that particular place and how, you know, how far in, I don't know, I don't remember, or I don't know. But um, it was a fun, interesting climb. There was an ice fall. It was pretty cold, like I said, with especially the wind up top. And, uh, you know, then we, you know, did a little skiing. I, I had, you know, the Alpine Touring set up, you know, the old... Gosh, I can't remember the name of the bindings now, but they're, they don't even make them anymore. But, uh, you know, one of the first generation of decent uh, touring boots, you know, I modified them myself so they'd have more flex for walking, but then also would be stiffer for skiing. 
and uh, that worked pretty well. So um, I did have, uh, let's see, what were those? They were made, they were silver, uh, gosh, I forgot the name of the ski. It was one of the first generation of wider skis, and they were really great for powder, and I took those, so they're pretty heavy. Uh, all the equipment was heavy then, uh, but it worked, you know, for us. But um, anyway, Vincent was really cool. But I think that what I, I got from that more than anything else was that sensation, being out there on the ice by myself and having that experience, that feeling. Yeah, just that spatial it was, it experience. Was, it was just, love. yeah, it was really bizarre. It, I, I think it definitely the experience of high altitude mountaineering or mountaineering in general and that you know it's it's like you know what you get like the Grand Canyon does the same thing to me you know I get that sense of you know timelessness and and smallness and smallness and how minuscule you are and how big the, you know, the space is. it's just a different sense of space and time and everything it's, it's bizarre but that's really one of the cool things about you know, the adventures that I've been able to do. Yeah. Now, um, so there's an ice fall. Was that difficult to get through? Not really difficult. You know, ice falls are ice falls. You have to be concerned about crevasses, you know, all the objective dangers that you have with, with uh, ice falls uh, as far as, you know. Instability. You're roped up, so if somebody goes through a crevasse, you some you can pull them out. You know, you want to make sure you move at uh, a safe pace uh you have what you need with you you don't forget things you know it's uh so you're just you know aware and you know what you're you know you make sure you bring your tent you know for when you need to set that up and pick the right spot you know as much out of the wind or whatever you can do you know but with the ice fall there was nothing like everest yeah but uh you know it's a it's still a an interesting you know, beautiful climb, place to be. I mean, some of the vistas there when you're, you know, walking around, you know, climb, going in on the climb, you, you see for, you can't tell how far you can see, but you're you're looking out and the horizon, you don't know where it is. It's, yeah. it's kind of hard to describe, but looking out at the landscape and the sky, they're like the same color and you just like, you can't tell where it is. It just disappears it's, it's really, out there. It's really weird. Yeah, and the noon attacks that you're looking at. And, cool. You know, sometimes, like, I, I remember, the, in, sometimes the, it would be like, it would be like the snow would materialize in the air like like glitter. Just all of a sudden, boom, there it is. It's, you know, the reflection of the sun on the ice crystals in the air. But it, would, it looked like an explosion of confetti or something. It was like bizarre, but really cool. Yeah, that incredible yeah. cold temperature. Yeah, really, really cold. And really, you know, that, and nothing but white expanses. You know, the, the shapes and the symmetry and, the, and then also the juxtaposition with like the pyramid-shaped rocks sticking up out of the ice. It was like really cool. Uh, really is, is really that, neat place. Now, how far is the summit from the pole? I don't know. I don't, never I, really... I, well, I, I don't remember now. I knew these things, but I don't remember it now. But um, you're, is the compass acting weird? I mean, I don't remember. You never used one? I, I don't remember looking at a compass. You know, we just, you're looking around, just looking at landmarks. 
And yeah. so, and you have maps, of course, so you know what you know you're you're looking at. And what was the actual summit like? Was there a register up there? Of, no, no. Not many people go there, do they? I don't know how many people had gone there at that time. I don't know. I. I but there was nothing there. No, nothing. There. Just, just no flags. No, 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 nothing like that. Just a big old wad of tobacco. Well, that wasn't on the summit, but um, <laughs> probably was a little bit too cold up there for him to chew tobacco. But uh, he ended up frostbiting his toes pretty bad, um, which was too bad. But um, Antarctica was pretty neat. Yeah, that sounds. And so overall, how long did that expedition? You know, I I'm guessing it might have been a couple of weeks. We climbed another mountain there, and I don't remember the name of it, but, um, you know, for skiing and climbing and just to be there. And, and were you able to uh, ski off of this one at all? Um, yeah, well, uh, the guy that frostbit his toes skied off of it, and that's why he frostbit his toes. We elected not to do that because uh, we just took regular climbing boots because the, the ski boots at the time were not that well insulated. Yeah. So that didn't happen. Um so it was a, down, a long downhill sloping walk, or was there it's, any steep? Yeah, there were some steep places on it, yeah. Yeah, you're on crampons and, you know, ski poles and ice axe, whatever. I can't remember which we used, uh, probably ice axe, but um, uh, definitely crampons. And you've got to be careful. You don't want to go for a ride because you could hurt yourself or get killed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there, you know, there is that. And then so you get to the bottom of it and you're able to find your pickup location. Mm-hmm. So you obviously probably had a radio to let them know you were ready for the flight. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the logistics that way are yeah. always fascinating to me. And he came yeah. in and got you? And- yeah, the plane, uh, you know, you camp out there and the plane comes in. And, you know, there was uh, another, I think there were a couple other climbers that came with us. Uh, Mariola Popinski, I think, or something. She was a, the first Polish woman to do the to do Vincent, I think, and she may have been the first Polish woman to attempt the Seven Summits or do the Seven Summits. I, like again, I don't remember now, but she was really, really nice and you know liked hanging with us, and we it really enjoyed her company too. It was, you know, so you you meet people. And you, you make these really strong connections, you know, just, but then you never see them again. Yeah. You know, but when you're there in a really incredible place and, uh, you know, you're hanging out and you're just helping each other out and just enjoying being where you are, you know. And, and the was, weather uh, was good for the flight back to South America? Or? Yeah, we, it's pretty good, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't remember any anything bad, so... It must have been good. It was an empty plane going back because the fuel's all well, they, either... you're running back with empty, empty. 55-gallon drums and whatever else they want to send back, you know, supplies or... They're not sending supplies back, but you're bringing supplies in. But uh, I don't remember all the, the yeah. minute details. The trip home. Yeah, it's... Uh, it was, you know, it's, it's, it's really... You know, it's the feeling of doing these things... It's it's kind of you know there's 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 the there's the details of the logistics, you know climbing trips logistics weather and health are really important you know to make a successful expedition happen. But a lot of the logistical things now I don't remember. Yeah, they're, you know, they they fade there's, away. There's little details because 
what's left more is the is the feeling that I got from doing standing it. out there. Yeah, yeah, and so that, those are the, the things forever. now that I'm still still very strongly feeling. Um, but you know, if I went through all my notes and pictures and things, I could tell you a lot of detail about things because I kept really good track of that at the time because it was important. Oh yeah, you know, because you want to have all of your objective dangers thought about, considered. And, you know, think about what, what will I do, what could I do, what should I do, how am I going to do it? And then the subjective dangers are the things that you can't really know about. Quantify. Yeah, yeah. it's just, you know. And so, uh, so then you get back to Aspen after that one? Okay, back, back to Aspen. I think then we went and did um, Iceland. Uh, Greenland, rather. Well, we went to Iceland and Greenland and did, uh, I can't pronounce it, Gjornbjornsjör, uh, whatever it is. Uh, I, I, I can't pronounce the name of the mountain, but we did that and uh, we, you know, that was fun. I built an igloo and hung out in an igloo for a while. <laughs> we had some pretty crummy weather there for a while. We did a lot of skiing, you know, going out skiing uh, uh, by myself. I enjoyed that. And it was very, really interesting. How tall of a mountain is that? That one's. I don't remember. It's 15 maybe or something like that. Uh, I don't know. It could be lower than that, but it it's the, it was the tallest point um, right. in Greenland. And um, there's some good skiing uh, around there too, but really, really varied conditions like sheer water ice and then powder and then like sastrugi and, you know, then like really styrofoamy snow and, you know, then nice powder and then, you know, ice. It was really, really interesting skiing. Um, it was fun, and yeah. we did a couple of couple of different peaks there. You know, I could I could name all the names of the climbers if I had my notes better, but um, that was an interesting trip. In the discussions that we had about what we would do in situations with our team and with other people that we found if they were in trouble. Or if we got in trouble, what would you do? So you yeah. guys were becoming seasoned mountaineers by this well, time. At this, and at this time. had seen a lot. Yeah, at this point, it was like Al wanted to see, you know, I mean, I, Alex and Wally and me and, um, you know, I can't remember who else it was. Whoever had a chance of doing the seven summits, he was, he was all in on, I'm financing it for you. You're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So this was like, I mean, that's kind of an underlying theme of this whole thing that's so, to me, I still, I have to just, you know, say, hey, you know, this guy, you know, this, the people that you meet in your life, you know, that sometimes the things that happen are just like, it just happens. You can't make this stuff You happen. can't make it up it either. It just I mean, does happen. Wild. And it's yeah. like, wow, how lucky can I possibly be? And, you know, you have to, you know, feel very lucky and Life fortunate. shaping, too. Yeah. And um, so anyway, that, that was sort of, all of our expeditions were really, they went pretty good. You know, we didn't really ever have any really, really bad things happen to anybody, except like Andy getting hurt. But nobody died in our group. You know, in our, our no, fantastic. That alone with us. Now, what was the next one after Greenland? So, Can you remember? Let's see. So, where have we been so far? We, we did Denali, Aconcagua, Blom, Everest, Antarctica. So, for as far as the seven summits go, it would be uh, Denali, uh, Aconcagua, Everest. So, then I think uh, 
That's right. You fit Amadou in there somewhere. Might have been Elbrus next, which is the highest mountain on the continent of Europe. It's actually in the Caucasus Mountains um, near the, you know, it's uh, near Georgia. Oh. The Republic of Georgia. And uh, that was, that wasn't it. I did that one twice. And that was a very interesting climb uh, because I got to see what communist Russia looked like kind of before and after they made some major changes because I had I did it a couple times and the changes happened really fast. Right. But to see how that system worked, I realized how fortunate we are in America to have a free country. Yeah, that must have been a big, big impact. It was, it was pretty interesting. And, and a, a, a side note to that, our hotel room got broken into on, I think it was my first trip. And uh, one of the guys lost his passport and a bunch of money and kind of broke down a little bit. And so um, I figured, oh, I got to help this guy out. So I called the U.S. Embassy and I said, mind who I was and this, what had happened to us. And the guy's name, hey, we got to get this guy a passport. What do we do? And uh, so this guy said, uh, okay, you show up at the embassy gate at such and such a time and just ring the bell or uh, knock is, on the Is this whatever. in Moscow? This is in Moscow. So I did. And uh, it was just me. Uh, he said, just you, you, just you, come. So the gate opens up. I go in and the guy's standing there looking at me. I'm looking at him. And, and he says, don't you recognize me? And I... I said, no, I, I, I don't. And he said who he was. And it was like, oh, my gosh. It was a guy that had been on my Everest. He was there on Everest. And I had met him there. And he worked at the embassy? He worked at the embassy. So, uh, so, <laughs> That's fantastic. so I got to have dinner with the people at the embassy and listen to them talk about, you know, what was happening in Russia and our U.S. involvement in changing the government of Russia. From, yeah, you know. <laughs> what is, is that, Yeltsin and Reagan? I, don't, I can tell you at the time, I don't remember now, but it was like... Or is it Gorby or Yeltsin? And well, there was a lot, of things, a lot of things that were happening at that time where they were kind of transitioning from communism into a more, I guess, capitalistic ideology. And... We basically, I think the people at the U.S. Embassy were saying, hey, we did this. We orchestrated this, or we were a big part of this happening. And that blew me away. It was like, oh, my gosh, no way. Really, you know, so that was an eye-opener for me. Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 the point here being that all these trips, the adventure of climbing... You know, it was part of it, but the other part of it that was so incredible for me that was just as big a deal was the things that happened and the things that I learned and saw and heard and whatever that changed my worldview. Oh, yeah. And the, 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 the whole journey beyond the mountains, yeah. you know. It's yeah. And crazy. another good thing was after, you know... You know, we always tried to do cultural things in whatever, wherever we went. This was something Al was really big on. He says, hey, we're going to go to this fancy hotel. We're going to go to this fancy show. We're going to see these museums or whatever, as well as doing all the other stuff. 
uh, you know, do safaris where we go to do Kilimanjaro, but I didn't know about that yet. But um, anyway, so I went to St. Petersburg to see St. Petersburg and uh, took the train up there. My, I was myself, and um, <laughs> was, that was a pretty interesting thing running into the system uh, where I did not, I had a, a reservations to stay with some people, kind of like an Airbnb thing would be, but with a connection in Aspen, I got there a little bit late because there was some delay or something with the train and they were gone. There was nobody there. It was like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't speak Russian, what do I do? You know, so anyway, I'm walking down the street where the, you know, next to the ship where the, you know, the communist revolution took place and started and whatever. And I'm looking at that and thinking, oh, my gosh, this is this is insane. I could not find a hotel that would give me a room because I didn't have a reservation and their bureaucratic system just would not allow it to happen. So I finally ran into some people at this one hotel and I said, you guys. They won't give me a room, and I, there's got to be a, a thousand rooms in this hotel that nobody's in. But they wouldn't do it because it wasn't in the system, and we're running into that now in our country, which is kind of interesting to me. But anyway, finally they they said, "Well, I don't know. What do you think we should do?" And I said, "I don't know. Let's just let's just try anything. Tell, let's we'll just say we're together." And so they said, "Yeah, he's with us." And they, "Oh, no problem." So I got my, I got a room. <laughs> it was just, it, but it was. You know, I mean, you were talking dragging your climbing equipment with you, you know, taking taxis, whatever. But another part of that trip was one of the guides that I climbed with on Elbrus, uh, a woman, met me in Saint Petersburg and said, "I want to show you some things in Russia that you'll never see." Uh, anywhere, you, you're not going to see it unless I take you. And, and was so, she Russian? Yeah, she was Russian. So we went to some of the little cafes and little places that had really good food. and um, You know, this, it, not the stuff that you do when you're with a tourist Oh, yeah, program. far from it, right. yeah. Very, very different from that. And she, you know, talked about the system there and if, uh, you know, how it worked and Yes, sir. You know, you, hey, you, you, you got to be off the streets at five o'clock, and if you're seen talking to a Westerner, your uncle loses his job or whatever. You know, <laughs> things like that. It was like, whoa, that that would suck to live like that. But um, anyway, so that gave me a, a perspective on what that type of system of government is like, and it's something that I really would never ever want to live in in that type of a yeah, that sort of an environment. Yeah, and so uh, she. T what kind of places did she take you? Just little, little, you know, niches. Uh, yeah, little, you know, little places where the local people would go to gather, to eat, to you know, play cards, to whatever. Um, you know, I went saw you know some nice music, you know, uh, classical music. You just what their life was like. And you and, were like a fly on the collar of it, not a tourist so much, but you were with somebody. Yeah, yeah I was with somebody. And, you know, um, Still probably a fly on the collar. But. Yeah, it was. And, and, you know, and another thing I did is I went to the Poisk factory and talked to them about oxygen bottles because they were developing these new ox lightweight oxygen bottles, and I was doing a little research for Al because he was going to go back and try Everest again. And we were trying to find out if there was a way to get some of those lighter weight oxygen bottles for him. So that was interesting. And she, you know, facilitated that with, you know, being an interpreter for me. So. Oh, yeah, totally cool. Yeah. So it was just fun, you know, things like that. So I got to see 
some of the workings of that system that I, you, you know, you wouldn't see if you just go visit and, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, if you were, so, if you were just doing what they allow tourists to right, do, right? Generally, yeah. Right, but it was interesting, and and I, I have, you know, I have to respect a lot of what I saw there too, because they're, you know, a lot of what they accomplished and what they did was pretty incredible too. But the the feeling of living in that system, I would not. Do well. To, I would not flourish in a system like that. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, that was an interesting part of the, the uh, Elbrus climb. And the Elbrus climb itself was, uh, we did a couple of mountains there and hikes and different things. One of the hikes we were doing, we were um, going up through this one, this pass. And we had another another guide who was a girl with us, and she was back behind. We were, me and a couple other guys were out in front. And all of a sudden, these guys jump out of this, uh, out of nowhere with machine guns. And, you know, we're like, <laughs> we're putting our hands up, you know, oh, like, yeah. you know, well, we don't speak Russian, you know, we're Americans, we're hiking. And so these guys, are just, we were at gunpoint, right? She finally comes up and tells him what's going on. We're just these guys climbing Elbrus and we're doing acclimatization hikes and whatnot. And uh, these guys were guarding the border between, I think, Georgia and I don't remember what the next country was at that point. But uh, so these guys, as soon as they found out we were okay, they said, oh, come with us. You know, they took us into, don't the, give me took us into the, the, the cave bunker that they had and we're... Oh, they were—they were really cool, you know. And it was like, it was like going from being scared like you were going to get shot. <laughs> These are the most hospitable people I've ever met, you know. It was, but you know, those types of things happen oh, on yeah, all these trips. Be. But uh, Elbrus was interesting too. Um, you know, both both climbs. Um, one of the things that I saw that. Uh, Alison Greaves was a British woman who was a very good climber, but I saw her, you know, observing what other climbers do. You watch everybody else, and she was she took some risks that I wouldn't take, and she ended up dying on K2. But whether that was because of that, maybe that was her nature, or maybe it was just totally coincidental. I will never know, but I did see her do some things that I would have never done. You know, risky, just risky moves, risky off kind of off route sort of things. Like you don't really need to go there. If you could go, you know, it's going to be safer there. That could be the objective dangers could be much higher, but you have to be willing to take that risk or think you know how to mitigate that risk. Or play down the risk, Whatever, yeah. whatever. I don't know. But that was a, an interesting thing to see and, you know, reflect on. Yeah. Because uh, you see, not, you know, it was not just, I saw other climbers do the same kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. no, I bet you do get into a certain frame. Yeah, you see, you see people do things a certain way and like we all do, and you wonder why are they doing it like that and, and it's like, oh, okay, I, I can see why they would do that, but maybe I don't think I could get away with that. You know, I don't yeah. think I can move that fast, oh, yeah. or I'm not that strong, or I'm not that technically good, whatever. You know, that's part of the whole process. Right. Much, you know? no, that, that makes sense that there would be a million different elements to 
Yes, it's, 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 da- it's the dangerous task of mountain climbing. Yeah, it's a it's a really it's a fantastic thing to do, but it's really you know you could die. Dangerous. <laughs> you <can> die. <laughs> Pretty easy doing it. Or yeah, doing how it. long after that did she die on K two? I don't know. It was probably like maybe a year, two years, or three years. I don't remember now, but. Um, I remember that was pretty really sad news when we heard it. it, it, it yeah. yeah, I think it was not too long after that. Yeah, K two's got quite a record of. Oh, I got invited to go a couple times on different trips that I turned them down. It was just I didn't think I wanted to go take that risk. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's ratio of success to terminal is even higher than. Oh. It's yeah. Everest, right? It's a, a much more difficult mountain to climb. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. So then, after. So Elvis, Then where do we go okay, on our know, little tour? You know, I, you know I, I and I, I can't even remember the the exact order I did these. Like I said, I didn't look at my notes. But so where where haven't we been? Uh, let's see, Kosciuszko in Australia. We went and did that also. Al and I, and that was, that was fun, you know, uh, the whole trip, you know, you stop in Bali and check out Bali, which is really cool, it's a beautiful place, and uh, then uh, Australia is really an interesting place, the people were very, very nice, but it was, it, it felt like going back to 50s America or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, I've heard uh, that before. You know, so I, I, driving on the other side of the road, and Going to Kosciuszko and then walking up that, the, it was like, it was so windy. It's not a different, it's just like walking up Aspen Mountain or something. But the there's one section that's exposed and there's a walkway that you go on, but the wind is just so horrendous, like you, you, you better be hanging on or it's going to blow you off the side of the mountain. See, it was really pretty windy on that, that climb. We made it up to the top and then... Uh, you know, came back down and it, uh, it's more like a seven thousand feet, or it's less than ten. Well, or Kosciuszko's seven thousand three hundred and ten feet. Yeah, it's so, not. Yeah, it's not real high, and it's only like about a three thousand foot climb from where you start at the base area. It's basically a ski area. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember the name of it, but uh, well, there's a ski area on that mountain. Yeah, close to it, real close to it, or maybe it's part of that mountain. I don't remember uh, exactly now. But um, Australia was really we need. We did. Uh, we met some other people and did some. Uh, we went to the Opera House and saw a couple of different things oh, yeah, there. Cool. Which was famous a, Opera House. It was a cultural thing, and then uh, um, from there, that I think we went to. Karsten's Pyramid, because at the time, doing the Seven Summits, uh, Reinhold Mesner said that, you know, Kosciuszko doesn't really count because it's too easy to really be considered one of the Seven Summits. And, and there's Australasia was considered to be maybe a continent, right? And so we had to go do Kosciuszko. So we went to Kosciuszko, and that was a really, uh, that was a really fun, interesting trip there for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, to go there, um, they had closed off the route going into uh, across the mine, which saved you a lot of travel time. And 
uh, I happened to, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'm going to tell you this story, but anyway, I finally got access. Sure you are. Well, I, uh, okay, it had something to do with, Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith were married at the time, and Melanie, I was guiding powder skiing, and Don, and Don would come out skiing a lot on the snowcat with us. And somehow, I, I maybe was telling him about this trip, and he said, oh, yeah, I, Jim Bob Moffat, or whatever the guy's name was, daughter's working at the Little Nell Hotel. Go talk to her. Maybe she can get her dad to give you permission to go across the mine. So I did. And we got permission to go across the mine. And so I tried to get this organized. And by that time, we had already decided on they had another plan. And it was like, okay, good enough. We'll do whatever the plan you know, is that you have. So instead of going through the mine and saving ourselves a lot of time and whatnot, we did the you know, flight from... I don't remember the name of the town now, but you fly into this grass strip in uh, the middle. You know, you're going through clouds, and you go, we're never going to see the ground. You know, and finally, you know, you get down below the clouds or whatever, you see this grass strip, and you, you're in like a twin otter, and you drop down, and you walk out of the plane, and uh, start unloading your stuff, and there's grass shacks and these round grass structures all over the place, and <laughs> it's just a grass strip you land on, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these little pygmies come, you know, out of the, behind the bushes and the posts and the trees, and, you know, they're penis gourds and spears and, you know, bones in their noses and stuff like that, and feathers in their hair, you know, it's pretty, pretty wild. I am bad, too. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So, anyway, the, we go and you, you stay in these, uh, Grass, round grass, their their houses that they have, and the Indo this Indonesian guy. It was a, at the time it was called Irian Jaya. It wasn't uh, West Papua, which it is now, I believe. It was Irian Jaya, and so the Indonesians, I think, were in control of it. And so they had an Indonesian guy that was said, "Okay, come with me," and he set us up in our little grass shack. And Papua New Guinea. Yeah, Papua New Guinea, and uh, it was West Papua. And uh, so the next day, the helicopter, which was a missionary helicopter, was going to ferry us to our base camp. And uh, so we're hanging out there, and you know, Al and I just ended up being the last two, and the helicopter comes back and says, I don't have any more flight time. You guys are going to have to stay here. We said, okay, okay. So what do we do? And he says, well, when I come back tomorrow, and I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to get back because I have some other stuff to do. I didn't think I was going to have to do this, but I'm going to have to come back and get you guys. So when you hear the helicopter coming, just start going up this trail here and just keep going because as soon as you see me, it'll save me on flight time and fuel and whatever. So actually, he came and got out, and then he told me because he could only take one person at a time that when the, I heard the helicopter and the peep, whatever, that start hauling ass up that trail. And so I had just my backpack with me at that point, which was good. Um, but I was hanging around there, and all of a sudden, all these people are looking. You know, the, the, the pygmies are looking. And I didn't see anything, and I didn't hear anything. And it was probably five minutes before I was aware that the helicopter was coming. They knew it. They saw it and heard it. You know, it, their senses were more acute than mine. You know? Oh, wow. And so I said, oh, okay. So I hauled ass up the trail. And he dropped this little helicopter down one of the skegs on a rock. And uh, I said, climb in. And so 
I had my backpack on my back. I was climbing in the helicopter. I think I might have thrown the pack in the helicopter first. And it was climbing in. And I wasn't even in the damn thing. And the guy takes off. It was like, is this really happening? It was like an action film it, it or something. It was like, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, I got to be Tom Cruise. 007. Or something. Yeah, it was like, holy shit. So anyway, I you know, get in there and buckle up and put the headphones on, and he starts talking to talk. I'm sorry about that, but I had to. Da, 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 da. And uh, this is, okay, i got to back up, though. So yeah. we had to spend, before that, we had to spend a day waiting for him to come. And we got a note. First of all, when we first got there, we got a note that said, you know, be careful, the chief of this village is a very bad man. We're going, okay, great. Uh, and then the Indonesian guy didn't say anything about it. But the next day we got a, we got a message that the chief wanted to, to have a, a meeting with Al and I. You know, it was like, oh shit, what's this gonna what's gonna happen here? So we uh, went down to his grass shack and went in there, and there was a bunch of guys around us. They have a little tower with the sweet potatoes. You know, the fire and the sweet potatoes roasting and all this stuff. We're sitting around this thing, and they're grunting and groaning back and forth, and Al and I are trying to keep our cool and like, what the hell should we say? Or, you know, you know what are these? I think they want to eat us, you know. And we were making jokes about it and whatnot, but it was like we didn't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> helicopter pilot told us a year before somebody had gotten eaten that got wandered off the trail. He said, don't go wander off the trail. So anyway. And then he tells you, run up that trail by yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that was, it was, uh, we hung out there for a while. And then all of a sudden the chief gets up, everybody else gets up, and we all go outside. And I went over and got, I had a box of cookies and I started giving it out to the kids, right? And uh, the village, and all of a sudden, uh, everybody just like, it's like, uh-oh, something's wrong here. And uh, I turned to look, and the chief was walking up towards us. And it, you know, everybody splits out of the way he walks up. And I thought, oh, I better give the chief some cookies. So I gave him a couple. I was handing him a couple of cookies, and he just kind of looked at that. And then he looked at me, and it was like, oh, I get it. I gave him the whole box. <laughs> he wanted the whole box. <laughs> so I gave him the box of cookies, and he was okay. And it was okay after that. But... Uh, uh, it was pretty What the chief wanted, the chief, the chief got. The chief got, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but now, you know, and I did wander around again. I, I like going, wandering around, scaring the hell out of myself, I guess. Maybe it's adrenaline, I don't know what. But I went out and wandered around the village the day we were there and found some trails and saw people. And, you know, it's like going back. Back in time, back huh? in the Stone Age or something. And, I, you know, I, I got some... Things uh, I've got a stone axe that I got from uh, traded something or I can't remember and a, you know a bag that they carry things with a you know a tump line on their head and uh, cool stuff know, it was, yeah it was because uh, you know they had seen expeditions before ours of course to go to climb Carson's but uh, that was a that was a great climb that was uh, Carson's is more of a rock climb kind of thing really good rock, needle-sharp limestone, and uh, Skip Horner, and um, Charlie oh, Hobbs, Skip and Horner. Nick Banks. Yeah, all and, those guys. Nick. Yeah, yeah, and uh, all those guys, let's huh? see who else was on. Uh, there was uh, Beck Weathers was there, Yasuko Namba, I think, was there. Beck uh, Weathers of Everest fame? Yeah, that guy? yeah. And uh, 
oh gosh, there are a, few, a couple other people that you probably recognize their names. I bet I don't recall now. But we had a really fun trip up there, and it was a really fun climb. The exposure was pretty tremendous. Yeah. And we climbed Nagapulu, which is another peak. And then Jan Arnold and myself and somebody else um, attempted another one, but the conditions deteriorated, and it was like, we got to get out of here. The avalanche danger doesn't look real good right now. So we got out so of there. But do you remember the elevation of those ones in Papua New Guinea? Karsten's is 16-something, I think. Um, but I, I don't recall. I'd have to look that up somewhere, but... We could Google it, but you know. Um, but you're coming from yeah, it's way coming low off, elevation. Coming right? off of low elevation, but to get there, you go on this hike that's miles and miles and miles, and you're carrying the pack, and you're going through knee-deep mud, and you know the you've got these porters that are you know uh, carrying stone axes, and well, one example of uh, what it was like is one place we stopped. They'd go out and chop up these trees and make these little huts to, cut, to go hang out in and cook their sweet potatoes. And, and one of the days they shot this, I don't know, it was a wild dog or something with a real primitive bow and arrow thing. And, you know, I, I like to go in there and hang out and see what's going on. So I just walk in and to see what they're doing. And they kind of, you know, look at you real funny and whatever. But I had gone in when I heard them singing one morning and gone in with them and started hooting and hollering and screaming with them and they were laughing and they thought it was pretty funny. But they, it was, I was okay, you know, they thought it was okay. So I go on this other time and they're ripping this, this like hoggerwood thing apart and eating it raw. It was like, holy shit, <laughs> these guys are, this is right after the pilot had told us about the cannibalism stuff. Uh, it's, yeah. still, it's still there, you know, but, um, I don't know, you know, Wild. who knows, you know, at, at the time, this all seems so like, okay, I believe everything I'm being told, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, you know, I don't know, but it seemed pretty real. Yeah. And, uh, but these guys, you know, we were climbing, some pretty serious climbing, and we were coming off of Nagapulu, and uh, I saw this something red in the snow, and so I went and dug it out, and it was a crampon, it was a homemade crampon that was... It, painted red, made out of metal. And so I took it home, brought it home, and uh, I thought I'd see if I could figure out where it came from. So uh, you know, when researching before the trip, I would research all the climbs before I went, read books about them and whatever. And I knew about Heinrich Herrer had climbed Carson's Pyramid. I think he was the first person to climb it. And uh, so I wrote him a letter. <laughs> I found out what his address was. I think I got it through the, either the American Alpine Club or something, somebody like that. And I wrote the guy a letter, and so he, he wrote me a letter back. And uh, I started corresponding with the guy, and of course I told him I had this crampon, and he said, I'd really love to have that for my museum. So that's where it's going. So, and where is his museum? It was in Germany somewhere. I, you know, like a lot of this, this stuff happened, you know, 25 plus years ago. So a lot of things I can't remember. But so that got me interested in not only Heinrich Herr, but you know, I had read about him because of his um, uh, relationship with the Dalai Lama, and so I read quite a bit about the Dalai Lama, and of course that was the 
Buddhism and Nepal, Tibet, etc. So, you know, the, the things that you... They start fitting together yeah, for you. You know, that happened that you learn about and then you get interested in and you research. And it's really, you know, part of the experience of the Seven Summits is the, you know, the cultural stuff. The and rich the, the history and the people that were involved in cool. doing it to, from the beginning. But anyway, so that's just another little part of that and so I don't I don't want to get go too too much but anyway so let's see the next of the seven summits I think would be the last is it the last one um yeah I think I think it would be probably I think we've done all the seven and then the, so so the last one would be Kilimanjaro yes Kilimanjaro so um we have Wally Berg and Al and Brock and uh, again I can't remember the cast of characters on this one, but it was a like I said changing group. But sometimes there was always some connection with somebody who'd been on another climb here and there. So it was a group, a good group, and we were doing a pretty much a standard route, and you know going to Africa is a pretty neat thing to begin with. Oh yeah. And uh, so we went to Arusha and hung out in Arusha for a while and started up on the climb and we met this woman uh first night out who <laughs> was probably I, I would guess she was in her 60s 70s probably blue hair you know coif perfect makeup you know the whole thing and she was an older woman who her husband had died left her a bunch of money and she had always wanted to travel and somebody said go to mombasa so she went to mombasa and then somebody in Mombasa said, oh, you could go climb Kilimanjaro. You could do it. So she was climbing Kilimanjaro. And she had a, a guide, hired a guide. And we were talking to her. She didn't even have a sleeping bag, right? They were going to just fleece her, you know, and take her up there. She was going to turn around and go back because she didn't have a sleeping bag. So we gave her a sleeping bag. We had an extra. Never thought we'd see her again, right? So anyway, we go ahead and do the... Kilimanjaro climate. Kilimanjaro is a really, really cool mountain. It's, you go through all these different zones, life zones of different vegetation. and uh, Not too technical, just long. Just a long and, walk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, anyway, we have a great time. You know, you, you, a couple times, you know, the, your, the porters are carrying your water and these containers that they used to carry kerosene in so you're getting dysentery not dysentery but you know a little a bad taste yeah, in your mouth yeah, at least. Right. and uh, so we had a little bit of that going on but then we got that all worked out and uh finally we get up to our final camp and i mean it's a beautiful hike seeing all the different kinds of vegetation you've never seen before and whatnot Anyway, life zone so, after life yeah, zone. Yeah, different life zone. I think there's like a seven of them or something. And so, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, this stuff's so sketchy. It's because, so good. You know, I, I'm not so even sure it's in the right order, uh, but um, I'm remembering things I haven't thought about in 25 years. We don't, you know, we so. don't mind, do we, group of so, listeners? So anyway, it's uh, <laughs> it's fun to do to think of these things and remember these things. But so anyway, we get to our last camp, and it was full moon, so we were going to do the full moon hike up to the rim. Of the crater. It's like 20,000 or something, isn't it? Um, Kilimanjaro, Kilimanjaro is, is, it's close. It's 19,340. Yeah, so that, that's, yeah, that's up there, man. Yeah, so, and you know, the snows of Kilimanjaro and the, you know, the 
and yeah, what was it? A uh, uh, leopard that was frozen in the snow up there. Oh yeah. You, know, you think about that stuff and and just the iconic uh, pictures of uh, all the herds, animals down on the flats, and, and in the background is the yeah. snow-covered Kilimanjaro. Yeah, it's so we, isolated and by right, itself, the, right? The, the safaris came after we we climbed it, but uh, <laughs> and you see all that. But um, the climb through the full moon up to the crater. You get up to the crater. Ruhu Peak is the, the top point of it, but you get up on the crater, and the sun's coming up, and it's just like big red ball. And you know you're seeing for so long in the distance that the layer, the clouds, you know, the layer of clouds that has you know, cloud and then sky and then cloud. The this red sun is going up through these like layers of clouds obscured oh by the clouds goodness. and then it's bright red and then it goes through clouds. It's like really cool watching that come up. And we're sitting there watching that and enjoying the, you know, the full moon's going down, whatever. And uh, I get a little antsy. And I'm going, God, I want to get up to the top. You know, they go, go for it, go for it. And of course I like going by myself. So I walk up there, you know, everybody's hanging, letting me do that. And I get up pretty close to the summit. And I look over, and here's that woman with the blue hair. You know, that I thought was like about 80 years old, you know, whatever. And her porter's holding a mirror, and she's fixing her makeup. And I said, oh, my God, I got to get a picture of you up on the summer with me. And she says, well, I've been up there three times already, you know. And you said, I'm sorry, my voice, I lost my voice, I'm laughing so hard. But she says, I've been up there three times already. And I said, well, you got to come up here with us. And so everybody else shows up, and she's there. And they had a banner for me, congratulations, seven summits and everything, because that was my seventh of the seven summits. And so she walked out with us, and we, you know, took her out to dinner and, you know, talked. No, she was, she was, she was a dame. It was just absolutely fantastic. But I guess to, to kind of, of course, then after that we did safaris. We did a couple safaris and saw yeah, the animals oh yeah, you'd and have to, the yeah. Africa experience, and it was just like, wow, this is so cool. You, you know, you this just is, can't you can't it, explain an yeah. elephant until you've seen one from the ground in right. Africa, right? I mean, yeah, it's like trying to explain the seven summits. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah. It's like it's like, oh my gosh, this is part uh-huh. of it. But it's it's a this whole thing is just like so incredible. So this woman, the thing about it was that, you know, I just climbed the seven summits, and. This woman who is like, like an old lady, climbed a more difficult route on Kilimanjaro than we did. Oh. <laughs> it was so it was like another, you know, humbling experience, like meeting the guy in uh, Alaska, you know. So it put it all into perspective for me. It's like you know, hey, this was really pretty incredible that I got to do this and that I was able to do it you know, figure it out and have the ability and whatever, the mental state to be able to accomplish it. All of the above, from what I can tell. But, you know what? It's not that big a deal when you see things that other people do and have done. <laughs> so it was, you know, that kind of put it in perspective. The jour- your journeys have been beyond physical. <laughs> yeah. Beyond. So, so anyway, that's uh, the pretty much the seventh summit thing, but it... Uh, 
You know, it was like, what an incredible lucky experience that I had. Oh, yeah. Being able to do that. And the generosity of Al Hanna and then the, 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 this synergistic experience with all the people that I met. On the, you know, oh, yeah. whose names I can't remember now. Of course, sorry, everybody, but I uh, love you. It was really just awesome. And hopefully you guys are listening to Big Adventures. Yeah, and, for Brian. Don Duffy and Brian Durkin. Yeah. So, you know, um, the, other, the other part of the whole thing, Brian, of course, while this was going on, I was also discovering the river. And you, were, of course, were a part of that, you know, and Mark Jensen, and, yeah. uh, you know, Tim Begay and Jim Slade and the, the whole Sobek crew and, you know, Bart and, you know, all these guys, you know, that was happening while this Seven Summit stuff was going on, too. Yeah. So I was discovering, you know, the river and that experience. And that was a big one, too. Yeah, it's, it's huge. Big, but it's, it's different than mountain climbing because... It's a lot more fun. <laughs> and it's a lot safer. <laughs> so, well, there's a lot of objective <laughs> danger on the river, good. too. Yeah. But um, you're not cold all the time and freezing your ass off and well, thinking this is miserable. The rivers are, well, sometimes you are. But the river is another one of those experiences where the feel of that nature and the power. And it's, like, magnificent. And the sense of scale and space and, you know, the flow it's all the same. And yeah. you're not drawing the map on where that river goes. And stuff. <laughs> right. But I think with that, that's a whole other chapter I want to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. Is uh, the, There's several other aspects, whether it's uh, being where we're sitting right now is a great story in, in its own right. Uh, but your whole experience living in Aspen and, oh my gosh. and the mountains, but... We'll close this right now, but our next visit, we can really focus on some of the other elements. That, that sounds that you're fascinating. That sounds great. I mean, you got a lot of great yeah. stuff, Mr. Duffy. Well, I've been really lucky to have some really, you know, great experiences and with some great people and uh, yourself included. It sounds like you're one of those guys that could get... Uh, thrown down into the latrine <laughs> and you just come crawling out with a smile and a rose in your teeth. <laughs> I hope that never happens. You're but... that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been very fortunate, there's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to, you know, I'll leave you with one last thought. It, you know, it, we kind of playing on what you said about Aspen, the mountains, Colorado, and the, the Himalayas, the Seven Summits, and you know, it's a, a quote I found a long time ago, and it's, uh, it says, uh, uh, there is a spirit of life in living in the mountains. Some people are sustained by the highlands for a day, some for a few weeks, some a lifetime. And I feel, you know, the mountains have always been a very, very special thing to me. Yeah. And that's, I feel that, you know, that's kind of a big focus for me and a big, uh, it's a big deal. But... Having said that, not only the summits, but the canyons also have been a really big part of my life. Yeah. And maybe we continue with that. Yeah, and that, that will we'll segue to that. <laughs> um, and I, uh, I have some parting thoughts when we do that okay. as far as uh, your perception of seeing 
the world <laughs> and seeing the environment. And I know you're super sensitive about the changes and the, mm-hmm. the human footprint and all that. And I think I've got some more detailed and, and serious questions in, in getting your uh, perspective on those things. Yeah, so I look forward to it. It'll be fun. Well, thanks, Brian. Yeah, well, thanks so much. I mean, <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. And you guys that have sat in, uh, thank you so much for uh, enjoying Duffacy with me. I mean, just a fantastic visit. <laughs> I wish everybody uh, could enjoy where I am right now. Tomorrow we're going to watch the Super Giant Slalom. Super G, Aspen World Cup. Aspen World Cup, so life is yeah. good. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been fun. This is Big Adventures <laughs> with John Duffacy and Brian Durker. You guys stay right side up. We will catch you on the next one. (laughs) Thank you, John. You're welcome. Thank you, Brian. (laughs) Big Adventures is produced by Brian Durker, Margaret Knight, and me, Gavin Bugner. Bill Gleckler and his mandolin provide our music. If you like our show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.